Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue at Avitas Kislev. We continue. We left off. Is the Mishnah? On page, no, the Gemara. Page 48a, the Gemara after the Mishnah. Yeah, we already read the Mishnah. So the Mishnah, we learn that if a person makes a vow, a person makes a vow that I am a Chedim. Chedim, meaning if you're like in the Golul. When you say Chedim, excommunication, you mean that it, it's like it belongs to the temple treasury. So my property is, is sacred to you as if it would belong to the temple treasury. That's a vow. You're not able to benefit from it. And if he says, my property is prohibited to you and your property is prohibited to me. So then, so then he says, neither of them are allowed to enter into the courtyard, right? But because each one of them... It belongs to both of them. However, something that belongs, something that's available to those who make who come who make pilgrimage from Babylonia to Israel, that belongs, then they're allowed because it doesn't belong to anyone. For example, the Temple Mount. It's not like every Jew has an ownership in the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is a free. Everyone has freedom to use it, but you don't own it. So therefore, both of these are allowed to go into the Temple Mount. I'm not stepping on your foot on your property. It doesn't belong to you. Versus, versus if it's municipal. If it's a municipal uh, property, then every, everyone who pays membership, everyone who pays taxes, owns, is a partial owner. So therefore, if I'm stepping foot into the bathhouse, I'm stepping foot into your, into your, your partner. And I'm a partner, so neither of them are allowed to enter, step foot into the shul, into the into the, into the bathhouse, for example. And there's an argument about the svarim. There's an argument about the books. The rush says you have to omit it because it doesn't make sense. Yes, the books. Everyone owns the library and the, the holy books, but there's a mitzvah to study Torah. We already learned a mitzvah. Mitzvahs are not given to, for, for pleasure, for benefit. So even though you made a vow, I'm allowed to do a mitzvah with it. However, our version is we do. We do have this version that they are prohibited from studying the books because although it's a mitzvah to study Torah, it's not like any other mitzvah because you also enjoy studying Torah. You come to the kailul, you're learning, your mind grasps, you're engaging your mind. It's pleasurable. So you're getting personal pleasure from studying Torah. That part is prohibited. So therefore, they're not allowed to use the books. And then the Mishnah says... And someone who writes his portion, he gives it over to the president of the community, the Nasi. So the mother asks, my mitzvah? Why? Why would it be prohibited if I'm giving over? If I'm giving over my portion to the president, so it's no longer mine. So why? Why would it be prohibited then? If the person uses the bathhouse, he's not using my property. So says, Hachitani. This is how you have to read the Mishnah. Mata What's the answer? What's the solution? If they, if they may, if he excommunicate, if he said my property to you is as if it's excommunicated, as if it's a chayim, and and your property to me is as if it's excommunicated, so neither of them are allowed to use the bathhouse. So what do you do? They have to use the bathhouse. They have to go to shul. So what's the answer? The answer is they should write it, give their portion away to the nasi. Yehuda says, he's quoting the Mishnah, It doesn't matter. He's just using, he, can, he can give it to the Nasi, he can give it to a third party. He can give his shear, his portion in your bathhouse, his shear, he can give it away to, to a third party. 
Mabin Kaisel Nasi is the case of a head. Why then does he say give it to the to the president, give it to the Nasi? You can give it to the mayor, I can give it to anyone. The difference is a case of a Nasi and Sarfazakis. I don't have to officially give it to him, make an acquisition, gift it to him. I just renounce my share, I just wave my right, I renounce my share, and automatically now it belongs to the Nasi. But if I want to give it to another person here, it's a whole process, a whole procedure. It's You need a third party to acquire, write a document, have a third party uh, acquire it for, for, the, for the other person. And the Rabbi Hudani said, No, really, even a Nasi, you can't just wave your right and it doesn't automatically belong to the Nasi. You still, you still own it, you still have an ownership, you're still a partner. So why then did the mission say give it to the Nasi? Because it's more common, it makes more sense. If Why would I give it to a third party? It doesn't make sense I would give it to a third party. Because what if the third party will then prohibit me, make a vow and say, so then I won't be able to enter and I won't be able to reciprocate. If we both owe it, so if you make a vow against me, I'll make a vow against you. And then we'll both be stuck, so we'll have to come to terms and we'll have to make a, come to an agreement. But if I give you my share and I own nothing, there's nothing I can retaliate with. I, I have nothing over you. You can just come one day and you're angry at me or whatever and you just kick me out. You just make a vow and then I'm kicked out of Shul. <laughs> but in the Nasi, the mayor is not likely to, to do that. He's a public person. He's a public figure. He's not likely to take revenge on a person. So therefore, that's why you just use the Nasi. Okay. It says in the mission, Nasi said... That the people of Galil don't have to make an acquisition to grant their shears to the Nasi because their forefathers already already did it for them. They wrote it in for them that it belongs to the Nasi. They don't have a shear. In in Galil, it's not every member of the city has a shear, owns a shear. They gave it to the Nasi. They they waived their personal rights, their personal rights, they gave it to the Nasi, and therefore if you make a, if you excommunicate, you make a vow, both of them are allowed to use it. The bathhouse of the Shul. Tani will rebelize with him Anche Golil Kantorinhoi. Why did they why did they do this in in, in the Galilee? Because they were cantankers. They need another people would people would make vows against each other. Okay, you can't step foot in the shul. I make a vow. They would be kicking each other out of the shul and of the bathhouse. So they all, to avoid this, they all got up and they gave everything away to the president, to the mayor, so therefore no one, no one could ever again make a vow and kick anyone out. Okay, next mission. Yeah, you ready for the next mission? Amud, someone made a vow. And he said, and the, the one who made the vow is not the subject. Someone else is the subject of the vow. He says that that subject can't benefit from, from him. From, and the subject of the vow has nothing to eat. Now the person who made the vow can't feed him, right? Because the person, the subject, can't benefit from him. So what do you do? Give it to a third party. Give it to him as a gift. Now he's not benefiting from me. He's benefiting from the other person. What's happened in, this, in, in Beis Chayde, in a town called Beis Chayde, in Shoyoviv, a son had such a wonderful relation with his father, 
made a vow, his father can't benefit from him. Obviously, he was rich, his father was poor, and he said he can't benefit from him. What a grateful, wonderful son. But then he married off his son. The son married off his son, the grandson. And But he wanted his father to participate in the wedding. So he said to a third party, I'm giving away my courtyard. And the whole wedding feast to you belongs to you now. So I want my father to be able to come and participate. So he's not benefiting from me. He's not violating the vow if he comes. Steps foot into my chatzah and enjoys the banquet. It's, it's yours. Omar, so the third party says, if you're already giving it to me, I want to sanctify it to heaven. I want to give it to the temple and make the whole thing a temple. Yeah, no one can use it. It says, no, 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 no. Did I give it to you? Question mark. Did I give it to you? Should you give it to heaven? That's not what I, I didn't give you ownership. You can do whatever you want with it. I just gave it to you as a way to circumvent the vow to allow my father to, to participate in, in my son's wedding, in his grandson's wedding. Amalei, the recipient said, no, the Satalia you gave it to me, so I can do whatever I want with it. No, he says, we have an oven Did you just give it to me? Just as a circumvent, as an excuse, as a loophole. So your father can come and eat and drink, and then I should be I should be blamed, I should get the sin. Because it really it's not real. The whole thing is not real. It's on my head. In other words, since he didn't really, if, if you're not really giving me real ownership, the gift is a hoax. I can't really do what I want with it. It's not a real gift. So by me participating in this false transaction, so therefore I'm causing, I'm, uh, it's my fault that I'm causing this whole charade and I'm causing your father to sin, to violate the vow, to eat something sacred that's prohibited. Amrucham the rabbi said, any gift that it's not a f- total gift and what's the proof if it's a total gift what's the what's the giveaway that's a total gift if the person has the power to sanctify it to heaven I can give it all to tzedakah then it's legitimate and if not not if not it's just a subterfuge it's like to avoid the IRS you, you give it to this one you give it to that one but it's not real you're not really you're not gifting it Ran qualifies this. Ran says that if he gives a gift with the condition that he must return it, so therefore he can consecrate it because then he won't be able to return it. He won't be able to complete his gift. But then it's a genuine gift. It's a rule in the Shas. is a genuine gift. What's the difference? Why is that a sincere gift? Because as long as it's yours, it's a temporary gift. So that, that's sincere. While it's yours, it's 100% yours. If you would like to consecrate it temporarily while it's yours, no one should be able to benefit from it. You have your right. But you can't consecrate it permanently because it's a, it's, I gave it to you on condition that you're going to return it to me. So I'm giving it to you for a year and then you have to return it to me. This year you can do whatever you want with it. But after the year you must return it to me. So that is a sincere, a sincere gift. Versus in our case, the whole gift is not sincere because he never has the power to do anything. He's just using it as an excuse, as a subterfuge 
to, 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 to get his father to join in, in the wedding. It's a contradiction. Here you start the Mishnah that if you make a vow and the subject of the vow is starving to death and you're the only one who can feed him. So what do you do? You give it to a third party, you give gift it to him and then the person could eat it because he's not benefiting from you, he's benefiting from the third party. And then you bring a story of the son and the father in Beis Chayran and then the rabbis say it's not good. You, can't, you cannot gift it to a third party. It doesn't work. My solicitor, you're bringing a, you're bringing a proof and an incident to show that it doesn't work. It's as if it's missing words. You have to like insert the words. This this is how you have to learn the mission. If it's clear, it becomes clear. The end, it clarifies. It becomes clear that the beginning you never intended to give it as a gift. It's only as a subterfuge, and it's us. There was a proof. Since he didn't allow him to sanctify it, it's clear that he never meant it to give it to him as a gift. But in the first case of the Mishnah, he did give it to him as a gift. In the second case of the Mishnah, he says clearly, he concludes, what's his conclusion statement? I'm giving it to you the hallway, the hall, my house, and the food. In order that I shall allow my father in. So you're saying the whole thing, you're saying clearly. But if you don't spell it out, you just give it as a gift and you keep your mouth mum, silent, you just give it as a gift, you don't say anything. Then even if it's obvious, why am I giving you the gift? Because I want to feed the, the subject of the vow. He's starving and I have food for him. But nevertheless, it's still valid. And he's allowed to benefit from, from the property because I gave it to the third party. And the Beis and he told him clearly, he says, he says clearly, I'm giving it to you only because I want my father to come and, and, and participate in, in my son's wedding, in his grandson's wedding. So the, that's, what, that's why the end, that's what he means, the end is ending statement. Contradict, his ending statement reveals that the whole thing is not a gift. But as long as you're quiet, even though it's obvious, like in the first case of the Mishnah, then it is valid. It's only when is it invalid, like it says in the Mishnah, when he says clearly that the only reason I'm giving it to you is in order my father should come participate in the wedding. But if he told him, my courtyard and feast are granted to you, so they shall be before you. So that father shall come and eat at the feast with us, then it is valid. In the case of the mission, he says, Ella, only, I'm only giving it to you. If he doesn't say only, he says, I'm giving it to you as a gift. And well, now, and now the father can come. And now the father can come. He doesn't say the word Ella, what he's saying here is, in other words, it's at your discretion. Now it's yours. And now it's up to you. If you want my father to come and, and participate in the wedding, he can join in the participate in the wedding, that's, then it's up to you. I didn't say it must. This is the only way I'm giving you a gift. No, it's up to you. It's your discretion. Now it's yours. And now if my father wants, if you want, if you like, if you invite him, he could come. Halachically, in another setting, this would have no force, no legal force. For example, if a person said, on his deathbed, give so and so 400, 400, uh, 400 zuz and let him marry my daughter. 
So it has no halachic legal, it's not legally binding. In other words, you're obligated to give him the 400 zoos, even if he chooses not to marry his daughter. It's not like, well, if he doesn't, I'm only giving it to him because in, in, in the condition that he marries my daughter, if he becomes my son-in-law, if he refuses to be my son-in-law and to marry my daughter, then I'm not giving him any money. We don't say that. Because and, when he says and, it's just a suggestion. It's not binding. It's exactly the same case. So just like over there, even though he said and, he said clearly, I'm giving you $400, give, him, give this person $400, and he should marry my daughter. So you would see him, right? In the context, it would make sense. What he's saying is, I'm giving it to you in stipulation if you're going to marry my daughter. I'm not just giving a stranger. And then he refuses to marry the daughter. Allah has said he still has to give it to him. So too over here. Even though he says, I'm giving you, I'm giving you, I'm gifting you the courtyard and invite my father. But since he didn't say only on the condition, Ella, only unless, only because you're inviting a father. Therefore, it, the gift is, the gift stands and therefore the father is allowed to participate. Another version, Rabbi. Amrin lay. Others say, Amrin said, Don't say that in the mission. The reason why the father is prohibited in the, in the case of Beis Chayyim to partake in the wedding is because they said he said told, he's told the recipient, but they are before you only. But if he just says and. My father should come and eat. Then it will be okay. No, it's not so. Even in the case where he says that and my father, let my father come eat, that's also prohibited. My time. Why is this different than the case we said earlier where it's not legally binding where the person on his deathbed says give this stranger 400 the zoos and let him marry my daughter and if he refuses to marry the daughter we're still obligated to give him the 400 zoos in other words it's not it's not conditional and why here do we say if he says i'm gifting you the courtyard and the whole meal the whole wedding feast and invite my father that it's not conditional and it's okay and the father could participate and the father cannot participate you should say it's not conditional. The father should be able to visit my time because the wedding feast demonstrates that in this case it was a binding stipulation. Since in this case he has no ownership in anything else, he can't do anything with it. He can't gift it, he can't sanctify it, he can't do anything with it. He's just giving him the wedding gift. So here it's clearly the wedding, uh, the, 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 the hall and the courtyard and the wedding meal. So it's clear. It's as if it's, it's, he's stipulating. It's, he doesn't have to spell it out. It's clear that it's a stipulation. I'm only giving it to you only if you can invite my father. Otherwise, I'm not gifting it to you. That's not going to work. He says nothing. If he says nothing, he just gifts it. That's another story. Even though it's obvious from the circumstances that's what he meant, but that's not the same. But if he spells it out, he says, and invite my father, that is a stipulation. That's as if spelling it out, as if he's saying only, only on the condition that you, 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 you invite my father. It says, that even in a case where he didn't say anything at the time, but first, later on, later yeah, on. first he just said a gift, but then he said, you have to invite my father, then it's clear 
as long as, as, long as you verbally, then it means retroactively that's clear. You're spelling it out. That's, that was the only condition you gave him a gift. Okay. Continue in side B, 48B, with Hashem's help. We're going to conclude chapter 5. There was a person who had a son who would steal bundles of flax. Since the father was so upset at the son's behavior, he, he raised a ganav. So he prohibited all of his property from his son. Amrul, they said to the father, we have a... What if your grandson turns turned out to be a Torah scholar? He turns it around. Right. Now you deprive them of all your wealth. All right, right. All right, wait a minute. Then let my son, my bum of a son, let him acquire half of my property. We have a If my grandson becomes a Torah scholar, let him acquire it then. Let him get half the property. Clearly, clearly, he didn't want to give his son. He's just giving his son in order to be able to transmit it to his grandson, to pass it on to his son. If the if the son is a, is a Torah scholar, right? He he gets half, and uh, if the, the grandson does not become a Torah scholar, then it would go to 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 the to the, to the rich man's other son. Who was upright? He said, in other words, I'm only giving it to him if his son turns out to be a Torah scholar. Then I'm 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 giving him, I'm giving him half of my property because there were, there were two sons. He had a good son and he had a bad son. He didn't want to give his bad son anything. He made a vow. His bad son's not getting a penny from an inheritance. But then he said, "But what if what if your son turns out your grandson? You end up having a grandson which is a Torah scholar. You don't want to cut him out of the will." So he says, okay, so I'm giving my son. So if his son will turn out to be a Torah scholar, then he'll inherit, he'll, he'll get half of my property. But if not, then, then my good son will get 100% of my property and my son, my son, my son gets nothing. So the Gemara says, my, what's the law? Is it a good gift? Is it a valid gift? Could he pass it on to his son? Because he doesn't get anything. He's not giving it to him. He doesn't want him to get a dime. He made a vow. He's only giving it to him as an instrument in order so his son should be able to acquire it. So Amri Pumpidisa, Rabbi Pumpidisa said, This is an example of acquire on condition of conveying it to someone else. Don't acquire it for yourself. Acquire it for someone else. So the son, the wayward son, is acquiring it for his, for his good son. It's not a good acquisition. This is, this is not considered a legal acquisition. If, if I'm just acquiring it, just to convey it to someone else, he doesn't acquire it at all. It's not called acquiring. You could give a gift in order to return it to you, but at the time when I'm giving you the gift, it's a real gift. But here, because but here, I'm acquiring it just for my son. I can't use it at all. There's a vow. I can't touch it. I can't benefit from it. So, so what kind of acquisition is it? It's not mine. So, if it's not mine, how does the grandson inherit from his father? The father never had it. It's not considered an acquisition. Right. But can the father say?
Oh yeah, if his grandson is going to be a Torah scholar, I'm not giving it to my son unconditionally. Well, my grandson. Another, if, yeah. I'm giving it to you as an inheritance. Right. And then if my grandson turns out to be a Torah scholar, then I'll inherit from you. But, but if not, then, then, then you both get nothing. Then my, other, my good son will get everything. You can't do that. The son doesn't acquire it. How, do you, how does he acquiring it if he, has, if he has no possession of it? He can't use it. He can't benefit from it. It's never his to be able to convey it to his son, to the grandson. Rav Nachman argues. Rav Nachman says, yes, he does acquire it. Even though he made a condition that it's only, it's only in order for you to convey it to your son, the Torah scholar, you don't get a dime, you don't get a penny, you can't use it, you can't benefit from it. Nevertheless, it's illegal, it's legally valid. If he turns out to be a Torah scholar, the son gets half half of the inheritance. Why? Because whenever, if you give someone a kerchief, right? A khalifa, it's, it's, it's a type of Kenyan where you, it's like a barter. I'm giving you a million, I'm giving you something of value, a, a car, a Rolls Royce, and you're giving me a handkerchief. <laughs> I get the handkerchief and you get the, the car. It's called a Kenyan khalifa. It's a valid exchange. A barter doesn't have to be the same value. I'm, you're giving me something, a handkerchief. The moment I lift the handkerchief or I, I pull it, then you, you get the Rolls Royce. It's, it's 100% legal. That becomes yours. It's transferring. It's called khalifin. You transfer. The One khalifin is, is a barter, regular barter. Right, right, right. We're exchanging, let's say, a cow for a donkey. Right. right. So the moment the other one pulls the cow, lifts it up, the other one, other one acquires the donkey. But here it's just just to formalize it. Of course, if I'm giving you a handkerchief and you're getting the Rolls Royce, it's just to formalize the acquisition, to make it a formal acquisition that it's real. You have to take action. It's a real deal. Or or a piece of real estate. You're buying you're buying the Park Avenue condominium for eighteen million dollars, and I'm giving you a handkerchief. And that, that formalizes the deal. It formalizes the acquisition. So you're selling me you're selling me the condo. Yeah. I'm giving you something of my own. I'm giving you a handkerchief. You the moment yeah, you pick I up the handkerchief, moment, it's yeah. transferred. The condo is transferred to my possession. Once, once, but then you have to return to me the handkerchief. Because right, right. I never gave it to you to keep. I just right, gave it right, to you right, to right. formalize right, right. this transaction. It's called the Kenyan Sudr. So Sudr, I'm giving it to you just in order. I'm giving it to you. But I'm just giving it to you just in order so you should be able to convey your property to me. And then you give it back to me. You, I, you don't keep it. You don't get anything. You don't get a cent. So why is this any different? The father says, I'm giving my wayward son, my bum, I'm giving him half of my property just in order to convey it to his son if he turns out to be a Torah scholar. And that's, and that's legit. Even though my son can benefit can't keep it, can't use it, can't benefit even a penny from it. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's valid. Amravashi um, Ravashi says, no. He says, it's, how could you compare the two? Who is going to say that if you grab onto the handkerchief and you refuse to return it? Who says it's not good? Maybe you have a right to it. Hey, I'm giving you a condo. Can't I keep at least a handkerchief? The custom is to return it. But if you insist on keeping it, could I demand it from you? No. So therefore you do have a right to it. So you're getting something. It is a barter. Something. You're getting a handkerchief. But in this case, the son gets nothing. He can't use it. There's a vow. He can't benefit from it. 
So therefore, he doesn't acquire it in any way. So how could that be used? How could he convey if he never acquired? Viyoyed, Ravashi says, in addition, furthermore, Sudra, Kani, Amnes Lakne, Zukni Mehashta, in the case of the handkerchief. When you acquire and condition to convey, it happens immediately. I acquire it and I convey it immediately. The moment you pick up the handkerchief, you transition, you transfer your property to, to the other person. But But in this case, with the son and the grandson, when does he acquire it? Only when his son, if later on, years later, his son turns out to be a Torah scholar. A Torah scholar is not only someone who has the brains and the ability and the zitzflesh. A thief is not someone who could steal, who actually steals. He turns out, he studies diligently, and he acquires a prodigious amount of knowledge. He becomes a genuine Torah scholar devoted to learning and studying day and night. And when the grandson becomes a Torah scholar, it's already been returned to its original owner. In the case, in the regular case of a Kenyan Suda, it happens instantaneously. The moment you oh, take yeah, the handkerchief, right. it's already acqu- I acquired yeah. your property, and then fine. Right. Here, when the father, when the father, when he gives the property to his son, okay, so probably he did it. He did it the normal way is to do it with a Kenyan Suda. So he right, gave right. he gave his, his wayward son the bum. He gave him the Kenyan. Yeah, I'm giving you. I'm giving you my property. It's not instant. And the mo- the father takes takes the son gives the father his handkerchief, the father lifts the handkerchief and he gives a portion of his property to the son and then he returns the handkerchief. And then if the son turns out to be a Torah scholar, the handkerchief is long gone. So it's not simultaneously. already returned the handkerchief to the, to the son, he no longer has the handkerchief. So it can't be affected. So Rab Nachman is wrong, Rabashi is saying. You can't say it's not it's, it's not it's not apples to apples, it doesn't work. The rabbis of Pumpadis are correct. It won't work. Another challenge from our mission of the gift of the case of Bitzchaira. Described now Mishnah the so it's the same thing. It's the, the equivalent of he's saying acquire and the condition to convey, I'm giving you the gift. He's giving to the third party. The son is giving the third party his courtyard and the whole food of the wedding. The whole wedding feast. In order to acquire, to give it to my father, so my father should be able to join in. Like Akani and the Mishnah says, it's not a good Kenyan. So we see that this type of Kenyan is not effective, is not legally binding. To say that this type of gift is good, if you Rav Nachman are arguing that this type of gift is good, a gift that you don't acquire anything only for the sake of conveying is good. Then what's wrong? It's not a legal loophole. It's it's a perfectly valid, valid, uh, valid legal transaction. I'm giving it to you. You don't have a penny. You can't use it to sanctify it. You can't use anything. You can't do anything with it. The third party, the one he gifted. You can't do anything with it. I'm only giving it to you in order to convey, so allow my father to join the wedding. Why should, why should that not be, why is that a loophole? That should be 100% legal according to you. But the answers of Nachman will give two answers to that question, to Rav's challenge. 
Sometimes Rabbi Nachman would answer the Ravim from the Sadasim There, the problem is the meal, the wedding feast, proves that he never intended to give it to him, period. No, it's not a sincere gift. I mean, you, you pay a caterer 15 grand and all of a sudden. Exactly, you give it away. You're not giving it away. So it's obvious. I'm just giving it to you. It's a fake transaction. I'm not giving you a gift at all. The Ram explains. Here, the meal itself proves that the whole thing is a, is, a, is a lie, is a charade. Because the way of the world is, a person wants, it's an honor, that his father should, should head the table, should be at, the, at his grandson's wedding. So he never meant to give it away. It's his wedding, it's my wedding, it's my son's wedding, I'm paying for it, it's mine, it belongs to me. I just want my father to be able to so this whole, it's just the charade, I'm giving it to you. A legal loophole, a technical loophole, because I made a vow. He can't benefit. So I'm making it yours. So he's benefiting from you, not from me. Baba says everyone knows he's benefiting from you. You want him to benefit from your meal. In the case of in the case of the son and the wayward son, you can't say that the action itself proves that the whole thing is a subterfuge. Why? Because of the way of the world is. Who who do you give your money to? To your son or to your grandson? To your son. That's the way of the world. So why why would I? So the the act itself doesn't prove that the whole thing was a legal loophole. No, really, I would give it to you. So it's it's it, there's no proof in the action. There's nothing in the action itself that shows. So therefore, it's it's legally valid. I'm giving it to you, and that's the normal way of the world. But I'm I'm stipulating. I'm giving it to you in order to convey it. To, to your son of the Torah scholar. Should he become a Torah scholar? Even another, another time he would answer, Rabbi Nachman would answer it other differently. Rabbi Lezer, our Mishnah follows the opinion of Rabbi Lezer, who said, said that even a minor thing, small thing, like walking through my courtyard, what's the big deal? No big deal. But no, you're not allowed to benefit from me. I don't want you to, yeah, even an inch. I don't want you anything. Why? So what's the comparison now? Mission and the wedding. The wedding is not just indulgence. He's talking about participating in a full meal and a wedding feast. Saying according to Rabbi Lezer, vows are stricter than 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 monetary law. Monetary law. Do I need permission to, to take a shortcut through your courtyard? No. Is it called stealing? I didn't pay you for the right to, to take a shortcut to shul and walk walk through walk through your courtyard. No. There's no monetary issue. But when it comes to vow, we're very strict. Even the simple act of walking, of, of walking through, in the indulging of walking through uh, your courtyard is forbidden. Financially, however, yes, I could stop you if I tell you not to. You're surely not allowed to. But if I don't tell you not to, you know, people indulge, people forgive. Rabbi says, vows are treated stricter than just regular financial matters. So therefore, though in regular monetary law, you could convey, I could give you, in order to convey, and Rabbi says it is a valid, a valid, but when it comes to vowing, when it comes to vows, we're stricter. In the case of the wedding, it doesn't work. Let's conclude the chapter. But as Rab Nachman, now we learn, and now Mishnah Racham the Rabbi said, the cold matonah she'ena Any gift that's not a total gift, where you can do whatever you want with it, you can even consecrate it. It's not a good gift. So kol lasuyimai. What it means? Every. What's it coming to add in addition to our case? Lav lasuyimai. Milse. 
isn't surely is coming to add a case of a wayward son, the Shadibikipa, the Shamid who stole bundles of flax. So the gift was granted and conditioned to convey, and he says it's not a good gift since the son can't use it. And he can consecrate it, so therefore it's not a good gift. And what it says, Loy, Nachman will tell you no. He's coming to add a later version of Rav's, Rav's discussion, which is that Rav said that not only, according to the second version of Rav, not only if he says Ella, not only do we say that, that the father can't participate in the gift when he says Ella, I'm only giving it to you in order for my father to participate. But even if he says, and I want you to, my father to participate, even in that case, it's also called, even in that case, the father is not allowed to participate. We conclude with Hashem's help, the fifth chapter. Tomorrow, Mitzvah Hashem will start chapter six. Everyone have a, a good day of Yom Tev. Everyone have a beautiful day.